Thank you. You may be seated. The Bible says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord Jehovah. And so indeed there is happiness and blessedness in having the Lord as our God. Welcome to First Baptist Church today on a cold morning. We're so glad you're here and we welcome you to First Baptist Church. And uh, thank you for coming. If you're a guest, let me extend a special welcome to you and hope you feel at home in our church family. And if you would register, if this is your first time here, there's a registration card in the pew rack and we would appreciate you filling that out and placing in the offering plate at the end of the service to just to let us get to know you. And I will be at the Welcome Center at the end of this service, up the ramp this direction, and have a small gift for first-time guests and would love to meet you. Thank you for, for coming and being here today. We have a group uh, of students at a Strength to Stand conference, 54 students and leaders in Gatlinburg this weekend. We want to pray for them as they worship there uh, and are coming back tomorrow uh, that uh, it'll be a great weekend for them. I want to take just a moment to share with you something in this new year to remind you about a resource that our church has for parents. If you're a parent, I want to remind you of Train Up. Train Up is a resource that Cindy and Tim and I developed to try to help parents to teach their children spiritual truth. Um, the Bible tells us that we as parents have a responsibility to be the first teachers, but a lot of us don't, well, what am I supposed to be teaching my children? So in Train Up, it's on our website. This logo is on the front page of the website. You can click on it. And there is a goal for, every, for your children for every age from age 3 through 12th grade. So preschoolers through the end of high school students, an age-appropriate spiritual goal for you to teach them in that year and resources about how to teach them so that you could have a systematic plan to teach your children before they leave home what God wants them to be. For example, for three-year-olds, if you have a three-year-old, you click on three-year-olds and it says it's about teaching them the two great commandments, about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And it gives activities to help them. And that's just the whole goal for a three-year-old for, for that year. And you review it. So as we start 2018, if you're a parent, would you have a three-year-old, would you, would you say, that's what we're going to talk about as we walk along the way, Deuteronomy says, as we sit down, rise up. If you have a um, first grader, we believe it's a time to teach about money. We encourage you to give an allowance to a first grader and teach them to give a tithe to the church. And that's a pattern that will be in their life. If you have a seventh grader, you click on seventh grader. It's about 
defining your spiritual history. They need to know their roots about that age. And so they're to research who was a Christian in their family before them. How was the faith passed down if it was? They're 11th grader learning about other denominations and other religions. A lot of times kids go off to college or leave home, encounter other beliefs, and they're not ready for that. They come back and talk to me, well, what about all this? It'd be a whole lot better if while they're home as an 11th grader, you help them explore other faiths and show the difference, and there's a resource to help do that. So a goal for 2018, parents, I just want to encourage you to use that resource and to check that out as a way to help teach your kids spiritual foundation for life. Glad you're here today. We're going to worship together. Todd? Uh, yeah, hey, uh, we are about to get started on a, a great musical called Crimson Gospel. Okay, I know maybe right now Crimson may not be a good color to be bringing up if you're a Georgia fan, but, uh, uh, but anyway, Crimson Gospel is a great, great musical. It's got a lot of modern uh, Christian uh, contemporary music in it. It's, full, it's uh, accompanied by a full band and orchestra. And so if you've ever thought about singing with the choir, uh, this is the time to do it. We meet on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. to 7.15. And uh, you don't have to have any prior experience in that. If you just like to sing, come on out. And uh, it's called Crimson Gospel. And the cool thing is, is in between the songs when we do it, uh, there'll, be, there'll be DVD testimonies uh, by, okay, you ready? By... The Duck Dynasty guys, Uncle Si, Phil, you know, Willie, Miss Kay, the whole bunch, they do testimonies between the, between the songs, and uh, I've already watched it a couple times, and it's great. If you're interested, go on to the, uh, the, the Facebook page, it's on the church first Facebook page and the music page, uh, there's a little 17 minute promo if you want to watch and see kind of what it's about, but we'd love for you guys to come join us on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. If you play an orchestra instrument, let me know because I'd really like to kind of, you know, we got a wonderful uh, group of horns back here, but wouldn't it be great if we could have even more, you know, clarinets and violins and saxophones and I, I saw you guys on the front and made me think of saxophones. But uh, uh, anyway, so with all that being said, uh, come on out on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. All right, let's stand and let's sing. This is the day.
yes, yes. Y'all give the Lord a hand. I heard a couple of somebody like, can I clap for that? Yes, yes, give the Lord a hand. <laughs> oh, we serve a lion and a lamb. Isn't that great? So let's
Oh 
pray over you right now. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says this, Therefore God exalted him to the name uh, to, I'm sorry. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I like this part. That, every, that at, his, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and the people of God said together, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today I'm beginning a new series of sermons from the book of Revelation. I'm going to do an overview of the themes of the book of Revelation. I think a lot of people uh, get uh, bogged down in the details of Revelation. It's a book of symbols and, and it's easy to just to get lost in the things that we don't understand. For example, in Revelation 13, it says that there is a beast who comes out of the sea and he has seven heads with ten horns on them. How do you have ten horns on seven heads? I don't know. And what does that mean? I don't know. And it's just easy to get lost when you read the book, the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation. So what I want to do in this series is back up and look at the things that we know to be true. Revelation is a great book of encouragement to Christians. And so what I want to do in this series is seek to encourage you in, in your faith uh, to persevere. Uh, so we're going to go through the book of Revelation in seven weeks and see the seven themes of the book of Revelation. We're going to go through this book like a hungry dog eats raw meat. Have you ever seen a dog eat meat and just gulp it down? Well, we're going to look at, just take big sections and say, what are the big, clear themes of Revelation that speak to my life? Okay? The message of Revelation is about one of encouragement. This book is to encourage Christians who are having a tough time. I think there are three audiences to this book. First of all, those are the first century audience, the people to whom it was written in Asia Minor, Turkey today, who were under persecution from the Roman government, and this book is written with symbols veiling the truth to encourage those people against their persecution of the Roman Empire. You hang in there. God's going to win. It's also second audience is to Christians of all time, because all Christians have tough times in some ways, don't we? And we need that message of encouragement that God will be victorious. And the third audience of this book of Revelation is the end times. This is a book of prophecy to the end times. And out of the symbols about the Roman Empire and out of the symbols that apply to us today, there is a prediction in this book of the last generation and of the return of Christ and how that will unfold. And we'll see those three audiences throughout this book. So I want to give you a key verse and a key word to remember. So I got a low-tech visual aid with me today, and uh, my low-tech visual aid is a shoe, an athletic shoe, a running shoe. Going to have it with me all seven weeks of this series. I want this to stick in your mind, okay? So tell me, what is the brand of this shoe? Nike. That's the key word in the book of Revelation. That's the word I want you to remember. The word Nike is a Greek word that means victory. It's 17 times in the verb form in the book of Revelation. 
It is translated overcome, triumph, victorious, and conquer. And we're going to encounter this word 17 times throughout our overview of the book of Revelation. And here's what I want you to do. Here's the audience participation. Every time we come to a place in the book of Revelation where this word is, I'm going to hold up this tennis shoe. And I want you to say, Nike, in a loud voice, okay? Can you do that? And that will remind us of this theme. Uh, and then I'll continue reading that, that verse. So let's just practice a little bit. Here we go. Oh, that was good. I, I thought we'd have to sort of build up for man. That's impressive. So while we're on a roll, let's read the key verse in the book of Revelation. We'll read it every week. It's Revelation 17, 14. It says they, and we'll, we'll learn more about this verse as we go, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will... Good. Triumph. That's translated triumph over him. The Lamb will triumph over them because he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So that's our theme for the book of Revelation. Jesus is triumphed. You can triumph as you're committed to him. You can overcome whatever's in your life. You can have victory through the power of Jesus Christ. So let's look today at the first three chapters of the book of Revelation in this overview and see how they fit into that big theme. And the foundational theme of these first three chapters, the first of our seven themes of Revelation, is that Jesus is alive and walking among his churches. So the book of Revelation was given by Jesus to John on the Isle of Patmos. Let me read to you uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, this is the apostle John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So Patmos is a rocky, volcanic island 40 miles off the western coast of Turkey. And apparently John, for preaching, was exiled or banished there. He's an old man, so they said, we're not going to kill him, we'll just, you know, exile him. And uh, so Patmos, you might think of Alcatraz, if you've ever been of Alca to Alcatraz, a rocky island off the coast where he's banished. And it says in verse 10, on the Lord's day, that's Sunday, this is one of the places where it talks about Sunday worships, why we started worshiping on Sunday, New Testament people did it, it was the day that Jesus rose, it's called the Lord's day. And John is worshiping on Sunday. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind a loud voice like a trumpet. You ever heard, watch that show the voice? They hear a voice, and then they turn around. That's what's about to happen right here. I, and he said, this loud voice said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Seven literal churches in what is today Turkey, then the, the subcontinent of Asia, uh, Paul was probably pastor at Ephesus. These are neighboring churches there. I mean, uh, John pastored Ephesus before he was exiled. Neighboring churches there. So he says in verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. We'll talk about those in a minute. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And it goes on to describe him here. And so this is Jesus. This is the risen Christ. John sees Jesus there, and Jesus appears to him because Jesus is alive. Now, this description that follows is not to be taken literally. When we see Jesus in heaven, he's not going to have a sword coming out of his mouth. 
I don't know that he's going to have white hair like this. This is a symbolic. The book of Revelation is a picture book. It's images. It's videos. These are pictures to help us understand what Jesus is like and what this is saying is Jesus is powerful. He's alive. He is glowing. He is dazzling. He is the Son of God. Okay, it says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You know, sometimes people say to me, you know, they don't understand things in life, and they say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about that. I'm going to ask him why he did it that way. Well, you might eventually, but you know what the first thing you, you might do is? Fall down like dead. That's what you're going to do. You're not going to be trying to say, now, why did you do it this way? You're going to fall down like dead in the presence of the Lord. That's what John did. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. First theme of the book of Revelation is that Jesus is alive, and he's alive, and he's going to communicate with John and through this book to us. This is what separates Jesus from every other religious teacher or figure, Jesus died and now he's alive. You can go to Medina and visit the grave of Muhammad. He's buried there. His followers honor his gravesite. There is a, uh, in Sri Lanka, there is a shrine to the tooth of, of Buddha. They have the tooth of Buddha there. The other leaders are dead. Ron Hubbard is dead, who founded, founded Scientology. Um, Joseph Smith is dead. He's buried in Illinois. They're all dead. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. It's what makes him different from every other religious leader. He died and he rose again. And now he holds the keys to death. Some of you gone th had the death of a family member. And what a wonderful word. Jesus is alive and he holds the keys to death. And he holds the keys to Hades or, or hell or the grave. And this is the basis of our our prayer life, our devotional life, we can talk to him because he is alive. And then it says in verse, 19, or verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in the right hand and the seven golden candlesticks is this. First of all, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, that these seven churches, the symbol for them is a lamp stand. Isn't that a great symbol for a church? Jesus is the light. The Spirit is the light. We hold the light up so that it shines upon people. That's our job. We lift up Jesus. We hold up the gospel because the gospel light can change lives. And we're just a lamp stand in Manchester. We're the lamp stand here in Manchester holding up the light. Now, it says that there were seven stars of the churches, and it says they're the seven angels. Well, what does that mean? Well, it can mean one of two things. You can pick what you think is right. The word angelos means messenger, so it can be translated as um, a human messenger or a divine messenger, an angelic messenger. And every other time in Revelation this word appear, it's translated angel, angelic being. But here it says, chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And he says, 
this uh, in every, every letter. So if it's an angel, so it could be, first of all, that God is saying every church has a guardian angel. That our church, every local church has an angel. Seven, perfect number, represents all the churches. Seven literal churches representing all churches. And he's saying, your, your church has an angel that I've assigned to watch over it. And I hold that angel in my strong right hand. That's one possibility. But to me, that doesn't seem to fit. Why does he start out on every letter saying, to the angel of the church write? Why is he letter, writing a letter to the angel that doesn't make sense exactly. So the other possibility is that it means human messenger. And a few times in the Bible, Luke 7, 24 is one example. John the Baptist sent his angelos, his messengers to Jesus to ask is he the Messiah. It refers to a human messenger. And so by that meaning, it could be pastors. I like that translation better. I like the idea that God has pastors held in his strong right hand. I like that. You can pick. I've, I've tried to tell Cindy for years she lived with an angel based upon this passage. <laughs> she doesn't buy into it. But, but that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I like that. So anyway, the angels. But then he says, in, in verse 2 it's repeated, or chapter 2, verse 1, repeated here. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is alive and he's walking among his churches. Isn't that amazing to think that right now, these were seven specific local churches. And they represent all specific local churches. And he says, Jesus says, I'm walking among you. They, they were suffering in the Roman Empire. They thought that there was, nobody was cared for them. That they were just a tiny island in a big sea of persecution. Jesus says, hey, I'm right there walking with you. It, it, would you think about Jesus walking these aisles this morning that Jesus is here with us he's alive and he has specific interest in local churches the rest of the world doesn't think local churches are that important Jesus says that's where the kingdom is being built I am in local churches I encounter people and maybe you have some of, of this that, that who say you know I like Jesus I don't like organized religion you know, I don't like all this organized religion and everything as if Jesus was just pure and simple and then we added on organized religion. That's not the case. Jesus founded churches. Je these are organized churches in each of these cities. And Jesus says, I'm there in them. I'm in that organized religion. I'm walking among them. That's where his presence is. And you say, well, isn't Jesus everywhere? Isn't God omnipresent and Jesus fully God? Isn't he everywhere? Yes, that's certainly true. Jesus is everywhere, and you can experience him at work, at play, in your home, everywhere. Certainly true. But he is not experienced everywhere the same, and you will uniquely experience him in a local church. Jesus said... Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. Well, isn't he with me when I'm by myself and I'm driving? Yes, he is. But, so he's everywhere, but he is not experienced exactly the same everywhere. And he says, you will especially experience me in some uh, ways. And one of those ways is when you gather in my name. So he is especially experienced in a local church. That's why people who say, you know, uh, I believe in Jesus, 
but I, I don't want to come and worship. I, I can worship at the mountains or on the beach just as well. And the answer to that is, no, you can't. Because Jesus especially is known in his local church. Now, you certainly can worship on the beach. It's often a worship experience for me and nature. You see the grandeur and the beauty and the creativity of God. It can certainly be a worship experience. But the fullness of worship comes when you unite with other people. The only way you learn to love imperfect people, sinful people, is you commit yourself to a church. And, it's, and, and then God forms us when we unite in fellowship. And he makes us more into his image in community because we're learning to love and to get along and work together. And that's not easy because we're not perfect. God uniquely expresses himself there. Jesus, I'm saying to you, the theme is he's walking among his churches. Today, as they worship, he's here. and He's in neighboring churches walking through them. And so, some folks, I, I want to speak to you, you've had a bad church experience. And so you're sort of back, you're not engaged fully in church. Or you've been disappointed by somebody in church. Or you've seen hypocrisy. And so, you, I'm still a Christian I still believe in Jesus, but I just, I'm not going to engage in the church again. I want to read to you words like that from uh, Anne Rice. Anne Rice was an atheist, an adamant atheist, author of the Vampire Chronicles, sort of a famous author, intellectual. In the year 2000, Anne Rice turned from atheism, became a Christian. It was a big, you know, a big thing. This atheist, this intellectual, became a follower of Christ. But 10 years later, Here's what she wrote, 2010. Today, I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ, as always, but not to being Christian or being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, deservedly infamous group. For 10 years, I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will, not, will allow nothing else. In the name of Christ... I quit Christianity. My faith in Christ is central to my life. My conversion from a pessimistic atheist lost in a world I didn't understand to an optimistic believer in a universe created and sustained by a loving God is crucial to me. But following Christ does not mean following his followers. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity. Uh, I, I understand some of what she's saying, but frankly, I think she's wrong. Because Jesus says, I walk among my churches. And Jesus identifies with followers that she says, I could not identify with. It's a little bit elitist and hypocritical when you say, I'm not going to be a part of the church because they're sinners. It's saying, if they were as good as me, then I'd be for them and be with them. But when you come to see, I'm a sinner right there with them, then you'll be like Jesus who says, I will claim these rotten sorry followers because they're mine and I'm crafting them into my image through a process and I'll be a part of that. Jesus walks among his churches today. It's where he is and he's alive and the church is valuable to Jesus with all of its imperfections. So in chapters 2 through 3 are seven specific letters to these seven churches. 
as we gulp down great portions of Scripture. We're not going to go through every one of these, but they all follow this exact same pattern. And I want to show you the pattern. If you want a chart that has all the content of them in our resource section, uh, around the walking track is a chart with all the seven letters that I've made uh, with, with all of these words. But here's the, here's the outline. First of all, in each of these letters, Jesus knows the particular circumstance of each of his churches. He knows the particular circumstance of each church. Every letter, that's how he begins, I know. Jesus knows stuff about First Baptist Church in Manchester. He knows stuff about Trinity Baptist. He knows stuff about the Presbyterian Church. He knows. And sometimes it's just good to know somebody knows where you are, doesn't it? Let me just read one to you. Remember, these are persecuted churches. They're having a tough time. And he's, let me read to you the one to Pergamon. Uh, chapter 2, verse 13. I know, every letter starts this way, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. It was the center of Roman government in that area that was persecuting. This was sort of like the Washington, D.C. of Asia Minor, of Turkey. And he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. He says, I know, where, I know the circumstances, and maybe that's a word you need to hear today. Maybe you're going through a tough time, and you've got a tough time at home. And some of you don't have support to follow Christ much at home. I want to say something to you. Jesus says, I know where you live. I know what it's like where you live. And maybe there's some of you that where you work, it's tough to follow Christ. And you're having a tough time in your job, and some things are going on with your job. You know what Jesus says to you today? I know. I know where you work. Jesus says to these churches, I know. He knows what you're going through and the experiences and the circumstances of your life. He's well acquainted with and he has sympathy with you for that. Isn't that, isn't that encouraging to know? And then, second, Jesus praises almost every church. He praises almost every church. He has something good to say about almost every church. Now, there's one church, Laodicea, he has nothing good to say about. It's apostate. It, it is completely off the rails. There are a few churches that Jesus doesn't count as churches, okay? Uh, so there are some that he has nothing good to say about in America today. But unless your church is apostate, completely off the doctrinal rails, Jesus has something good to say about it. Maybe you ought to find something good to say about your church too because Jesus has something good to say about it. Won't we be like Jesus? And you know, you know the main thing, if you want a theme for what he praises most out of these seven letters, you can read it. The theme for what he praises or commends the most is perseverance or faithfulness. He commends perseverance, sticking with it. Again, I'm still in verse 13 about Pergamum, where he said, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not in the, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So one of their church members had been killed in Pergamum, martyred for his faith, and he said, you all could have disbanded right then, and you didn't. You stuck with it. You've been faithful. And I know and I praise you for your perseverance. And that's generally the thing he praises the most. You know what you can do? You can be faithful to the end. You know what Jesus wants you to do? He wants you to persevere. If you're going through a tough time right now, he doesn't want you to give up. He wants you to persevere. 
And that's his will for you and his desire for you. And that's what he'll praise for you and you. And you may not be able to accomplish some other things, but you can persevere. You can be faithful to the end. And that's what Jesus knows about and he praises in these Christians, these churches. Now, Jesus criticizes almost every church. He has some criticism for almost every church, except two, Smyrna and Philadelphia. I want to be like Smyrna or Philadelphia. He has no bad things to say about them. Some churches he has nothing bad to say about, but most churches, Jesus would correct some things. And let me summarize the three major complaints that Jesus has to see what he doesn't like among us, okay? Let's see what Jesus doesn't like. The three major complaints, if you read these three, these seven letters, are number one, false teaching. Chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20 is in the church of Thyatira, and he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. Here's the complaint. He says, You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet by her teaching. She misleads my servants. And this will be repeated in some other letters about other groups or individuals. God's concerned, first of all, for what we believe and teach. Sound doctrine in a church. And he doesn't like false teaching, unchristian teaching, heresy, and he condemns that. Secondly, there's a theme in two or three of these letters of sexual immorality. And he condemns sexual sin, sexual immorality. Still continuing in chapter 2, verse 20. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of foods sacrificed to idols, which was an issue there. And that theme will be repeated. God cares about our conduct. And we sort of need to hear that in our society that is sort of a a wash in promiscuity in all of our media. And so we think maybe it's just part of our culture and just everybody does it and it's who we are. Listen, God doesn't want sexual immorality in his church. He wants you to be faithful to your spouse. He doesn't want promiscuity. And if you've sort of bought into the culture that that's okay, it's just what everybody is, you need to hear Jesus is not happy when Christians adopt the moral standards of the world and their culture that are contrary to the Bible. Jesus is greatly concerned that people in his local churches are sexually pure. Have I got that plain enough right there? He does not like that if, we, if in, we excuse our compromise in that regard. And the third thing that he criticizes, a theme throughout this letter, is spiritual temperature or spiritual fervor. He says to one church, you've lost your first love. And then most famously in chapter 3, verse 16, to the church at Laodicea, he says, you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Spiritual temperature is of concern. God wants us not to ever get lukewarm or cold. He wants us to be have the passion of serving Him. And He's concerned when a church or a Christian loses its spiritual fervor. And then Jesus challenges every church or warns every church. So for every church, there's something that Jesus would say, I want you to do differently. I want you to improve in. Or you you need to repent. Let me show you a couple of examples. Chapter 2, verse 5, the church at Ephesus. He says in their letter, consider how far you've fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. 
if you don't repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Your church may not exist forever if you continue in the way you're going. You used to be in a good place. And could this be true of your life? But you're not where you used to be. And you need to repent and get back to where you used to be. Or to the, the church at Laodicea again in, in chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. You know what God rebukes you? Because he loves you. And he says, so be earnest and repent. Verse 20, here I am standing at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. We often quote this verse as an invitation to non-Christians to accept Christ. And it, it is valid in that way. Jesus loves you and he wants to come into your life. He wants you to receive him. And if you will, will by faith open the door to him, so to speak, then he'll come into your life. That's true of a non-Christian. But here, the ironic picture is of this church. Here's the church, and Jesus is outside trying to get in. That's not good. It's not a good thing for a church. And Jesus is saying, I want to be a part of your church life, and you, by your doctrine and your morals and your spiritual temperature, have pushed me outside, and I'm on the outside wanting in. Could it be that, that Jesus is knocking at the door of your life today, saying you've sort of crowded me out with other things, and if I'll come back into fellowship with you. If you'll repent, and if you'll open the door, there's a challenge for every church. There's something he says to do. And then finally, last thing, he offers a promise to those who triumph. So we're going to read all seven of these. Are you ready for the shoe thing? You ready? So here we go. Chapter 2, we're going to read all seven these wonderful promises. Chapter 2, verse 7. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Chapter 2, verse 11, church at Smyrna. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Wonderful promise. To Pergamum, he says, verse 17. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is, I will give some of the hidden manna. I'll also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it, to Thyatira in chapter 2, verse 26. To the one who is, and does the will, my will to the end, I'll give authority over the nations. How about that? Chapter 3, verse 5, Sardis, the one who is, will like them be dressed in white and I'll never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels chapter 3 verse 12 to Philadelphia the one who is I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God never again will they leave it I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God and I'll write on them my new name and the church of Laodicea this is a double one. You ready? To the one who is, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was and sat down with my father on his throne. The theme of Revelation is that Jesus is the victor. He's the overcomer. He is triumphant. And if you will endure, you will triumph and reign with him. Maybe today you're battling cancer. And that's a terrible part of the curse of sin upon our world. And it drains you and pulls you down. And the word for you today is 
your triumph. That is, if you're spiritually faithful in this time, you will reign. You'll drink, eat of the tree of life. Maybe you're dealing with some temptation. And you've had some struggles with temptation and addiction or, or sexual immorality. And you're, you're just struggling and you're fighting. You're tempted to give up. And if you will overcome with the power of the Spirit, you'll reign with Him. Maybe you're just discouraged and depressed. Christians have always been through tough times. And the message of the book of Revelation is that the Lamb has triumphed. And you can too as you're connected by faith to Him. You run the race. Well, today we're going to have a time of invitation in response to this passage of Scripture. And maybe you've not been committed to a church. And that's been God's word to you today. Jesus walks among his churches. Maybe today you have been discouraged and, and uh, your, the word to you is God praises that perseverance, you persevere. What's God saying to you? Maybe he's saying, I'm sort of on the outside of your life and I love you and I've, I've been disciplining you, that's why you felt that. If you'll repent and you'll open the door, I'll come in, or I'll come back in, and you can know me and I can know you. Maybe you need to renew that relationship to Christ today. So we're going to stand in a moment and sing, and I'm going to invite you to walk forward. If you want to come and pray, renew your relationship to Christ, join our church, or accept Him as Savior, would you stand together with me? Let's sing together. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? Is our hope, our righteousness, Jesus, only Jesus, who can make the blind to see? Thank you. Would you please be seated now? We're going to give our offerings in gratitude to a good God who's been good to us. If you have a guest card, you can just place that in the offering plate.
Would you pray with me? Our most kind and gracious Lord, we're thankful for this beautiful, brisk January morning, Lord. We're thankful for the freedom to come and worship you, Lord. Lord, we pray that we're adequate lampstands to hold your light, Lord, that you can shine the Lord, shine the world through us, Lord. Lord, we, we pray that you bless the givers of this offering that we're about to gather, Lord. We pray that you bless the offerings that, uh, that can be used in your glory, Lord. All these things we ask in your name. Amen.
again, as we close out our service, I want to remind you just to look at your worship guide for a moment. There's a lot of great information in there about CDP classes, student ministry, and some things about Mondays on C Street there at our Oakley Ministry Center. But one thing I do want to highlight is that your 2017 given statements are going to be available after every worship service this week and next week. So if you want to pick those up, be sure to go by the Welcome Center. So you just go out these back doors, turn left, and uh, Jennifer Bell will be there and she'll be able to get those to you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the, the good news that you overcome, that, uh, Lord, we have hope and joy in you. We thank you for that in Jesus' good name. Amen.